Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him, and, as he could not pay, his lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and the payment be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the lord of that slave released him and forgave him of the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii, and seized him by the throat. He said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused, and he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you of all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest while the rest of us are seated. Good morning, Grace. Um, I'm Eric Balmer. I'm one of the elders here. And it's my privilege to bring the word of God to you this morning. Uh, the, topic, the topic at hand is forgiveness, and I, f- I feel uh, pretty overwhelmed by the topic this week, so I'm going to ask uh, that we could just pray and uh, seek God's enabling. Please, please pray with me. Father in heaven, uh, thank you for this day. Thank you that in you we live and move and have our being. And it is by your grace and mercy that we're even here. So we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for the, the gift of existence. Lord, this morning's topic is, is heavy and I feel overwhelmed by it. And I just ask that you would enable me And enable us to hear what you would have for your church this morning. Your word reveals Jesus. And we pray that that would happen this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I teach at a high school. 
and it's a, a classical high school, and they do Socratic seminars. So the kids sit around in a circle and they discuss texts. It's, you're not, they're not lectured at. And a, a colleague of mine recently had a, a child, and he asked me to fill in for his for his class. So a couple weeks ago, uh, I filled in for him, and it, he happened to be going through the Book of Acts. And on one of the seminars that I was having, uh, the text of the day was Acts 12. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the Book of Acts is you know a recounting of the early church and 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 the growth of the church. And the text was Acts 12, and Basically, this is what happens in Acts 12. Uh, King Herod has James, the brother of John, killed. And it pleases the people. And so then he he realizes that and he goes forward and he arrests Peter. And he puts Peter in prison. And he's under four squads of soldiers to guard him. Now, meanwhile, the church is gathered at a home and they're praying fervently for Peter. And the night before Herod was, was going to kill, to bring Peter out to, to kill him as well, Peter, the text says that he was sleeping between two soldiers and he was bound with chains. And guards were keeping watch over the prison. And an angel of the Lord appeared to Peter and a light shone in the cell. And the angel of the Lord said to Peter, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his wrists. The angel then said, Fasten your belt and put on your sandals. And Peter follows the angel out of the prison, past the first and second guard. Then the text says he comes before the iron gate leading into the city. And the the iron gates opened of their own accord as Peter went in. And then Peter went to the house where he was being prayed for to the astonishment of those who were praying for him. Now the story goes on, and it was my job as a teacher to ask the students a question about the text to get them thinking about it. And the question that I asked them was, is God any less active today? than he was when he miraculously delivered Peter from prison. Is God any less active than what we see in the book of Acts? And half the class said yes, and half the class said no. But that's my question for you. Is God any less active than he was in Peter's day? Bookmark that. As you know, or if you're visiting, we're on a series on the Lord's Prayer. And the text that I have before me is the phrase, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, I want to make two caveats uh, before I talk about forgiveness. One is that forgiveness is a very, very complex, it's very multi-layered. There's not a one-size-fits-all answer to forgiveness. I can't say everything that, I, that one could say about forgiveness. In fact, I probably couldn't do that even if I wanted to. Um, but So you'll probably be thinking, as you hear me this morning, might say things like, well, yeah, what about so-and-so, or what about this? And that's okay, that's natural, that, should prob- that will probably happen. Um, if you want to talk to me afterwards, I'd be happy to talk to you. The other um, sort of caveat that I want to mention is, 
We live in a day where, where God is offered, often rendered in sort of solely or exclusively therapeutic terms, a therapeutic God. Um, in fact, the, uh, the Notre Dame sociologist Christian Smith talks about Christian culture in this day and age as he labels it moralistic therapeutic deism. And so often when people talk about forgiveness, they talk about how forgiveness, forgiving others, is good for you. Uh, it's, it's good for your happiness. And you might hear things like forgiveness will provide you with emotional healing or inner peace, freedom. Uh, there's, a, there's a quote that's often uh, rendered in the literature on forgiveness that sort of speaks of this that says, Look, not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Now, all that stuff is true. I don't want to, you know, make light of that. Forgiveness is good for you. But this morning, I, I want us to focus not so much on how we benefit from for forgiveness, but how those we forgive benefit, how our, how our offenders benefit from forgiveness. In fact, Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, says that the Christian attitude towards our offenders should be as follows. <clears throat> it says, They grieve more over the sin of their offenders than over the loss or offense to themselves. And they do this that they may recall the offenders from their sin rather than avenge the wrongs they themselves have suffered. So when we think about forgiveness, there's lots and lots of questions about it. How should we forgive? When should we forgive? How often should we forgive? What is forgiveness? But you can't answer any of those questions unless we first answer the prior question of what story we find ourselves a part of. You must answer that prior question. And we are a part of God's redemptive story. We're a part of, we're a, part of a story of forgiveness, of reconciliation, of new creation. As Paul writes in 2 Timothy 5.19, that in Christ, God <clears throat> was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So the story of God, the story that we find ourselves in, of being made right with God, of being reconciled to God, is the foundation of forgiveness. And what I want to do is just remind you, I, took, <clears throat> I looked at a sampling of texts that, that speak of, of, our relation, of, of God's forgiveness vis-a-vis -vis our relationship, vis-a-vis -vis our own sin and folly. So let's take a look at the, the text. Here's just a sampling of texts about, God, about our relationship to sin and what God has done with it. God doesn't reckon sin. Romans 4.8 Blessed is the one against whom the Lord will not reckon sin. 
Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity. God covers sin. Romans 4, 7. Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. God puts our wrongdoing behind His back. Isaiah 38.17 You have cast all my sins behind your back. God removes our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. Psalm 103.12 As far as the east is from the west, so far He removes our transgressions from us. God blots out our sin. Isaiah 43.25 I, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. God sweeps away our sins like mist. Isaiah 44.22 I have swept away your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. God doesn't remember our sins. Hebrews 8.12 I will be merciful to those toward their mercies and I will remember their sins no more. Grace, Jesus was mocked and Jesus was flogged and Jesus was handed over to be crucified and He shed His blood for the forgiveness of sins. Your sins and my sins have been laid upon Christ and they have been swallowed up by Him. If you know Jesus in the name of Jesus, your sins are forgiven now and forevermore. That is the foundation of our forgiveness. In Jesus, your sins are forgiven now and forevermore. You belong to Jesus. Now, why forgive? The logic of forgiveness follows quite easily from that. Paul says, well, really, we're commanded to. We're commanded to forgive. Ephesians 4.32 says, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. We forgive because we've been forgiven. We're to imitate Christ. We're to mirror Christ. We forgive by making God's forgiveness of us our own and we pay it forward. And this is not something that is based on feeling or if you want to forgive. If forgiveness was based on whether or not you felt like it, you might never forgive. We're to forgive as we've been forgiven and we should be in the habit of paying for the forgiveness that we ourselves have received. But this is not easy. It is a part of the cost of discipleship. Forgiveness is costly. And the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 16, there's this, there's this famous passage where Peter makes a true confession of who Jesus is. And he says, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And 
in verse 21 of Matthew 16, the gospel pivots. And it records that from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering. And this troubles Peter. And he rebukes Jesus. And he says, God forbid it. This must never happen to you. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And then, in verse 24, the scope is opened up and, and, and Jesus tells his disciples what following him entails. He says, if any man, or if any, any wants to become my followers... Let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. So following Jesus and discipleship requires taking up your cross, an instrument of death. If you truly forgive someone, it will require cross-bearing and it will cost you, and you will have to die to yourself. That is part of the cost of discipleship. Now, how do, what do we normally do? What do we do when someone sins against us? What's the normal human response? We build walls between us and our offender. We build walls of contempt and resentment and hate. We seek to balance the books. We want our pound of flesh. We, an eye for an eye. A tooth for a tooth. We might gossip and tarnish the name and the reputation of our offender. Let other know, others know what a bad person he or she is. We keep score We might remind our offender of their past sins. Remember when you did this to me? Remember what, remember what the text says. God remembers our sin no more. God doesn't remind us. We might make the person constantly live in debt to us. They bear a burden. that Their relationship isn't marked by freedom. They live in debt to us. We say things or, well, if you, if you better do X, Y, and Z. I could say more, but this is usually how we, how we react to people. Now, I came up with three shapes. Well, I didn't come up with them. One of them I came up with. Uh, to help us think about forgiveness, our relationship forgiveness. And here's the first one, the cross. The Christian life is meant to be a cruciform life. And by that I mean that in our lives... We're called to take the dying side of the equation that others might rise. Uh, the next uh, shape, and a while back we had a pastor here named Brandon Cook that spoke, and, and, and I, I took this one from him. Um, a V. And, 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 what, and this is to convey this idea of kenosis. Kenosis is a fancy term for when Jesus emptied himself. And we see, see this in, in Philippians. 
Um, Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, Let the same mind be in you that was in, that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he'd emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, becoming or being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, when we take a kenotic posture, we imitate Christ, the one who did not insist on his rightful claims, but he emptied himself. And finally, the other shape is, this is mine. I, I drew this for you. Um, I was trying to come up with a, uh, a shape to think about the idea of absorbing, of absorbing evil. Okay? So that's kind of what it means. Um, Romans chapter 12 is probably one of my favorite chap- chapters in the Bible, and it's a series of, a long series of exhortations. And the last exhortation in verse 21, Paul summarizes the chapter and he says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do you do that? There's a lot of ways. Um, But how do we do that in the context of forgiveness? In part, the way that we overcome evil with good is we absorb it. And that's hurtful, and it's painful, but we absorb it. We forgo eye for an eye, retributive justice. We turn the other cheek. We release our offender from a genuine debt. We don't demand retribution. We don't press charges. Christ bore our sins that we might rise and and we partake of Christ's sufferings when we forgive in that way. Think about individually and sort of nationally or corporately what's what we see in this world. There's just endless cycles of revenge. Revenge. Endless cycles of revenge and retribution. Somebody does something to us, and we dish it back out. Something, somebody does something to me, I dish it back out. Somebody does something to my group, and I dish it back out. And look what's happening in the world. You have no shalom. You do not have peace. And forgiveness brings the peace of God. So the only way that we can stop this cycle is you and I all have a problem with our history, individually and as groups and as a nation or whatever. You can't change your history. And the only solution to the problem of your inevitable and my inevitable history of things that we've done and things that have been done to us is forgiveness. You absorb the evil or the harm that's been done to you and you don't dish it back out. This is what our Lord did. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Turn the other cheek. Bless those who persecute you. Pray for your enemies.
In fact, we don't just absorb the evil, but the goal is at some point to treat your offender as if the offense never happened. You interact with the person as if the offense never happened. Now, that's the goal, and that's hard to do, and we're human beings, and it's not an instantaneous process, but that is the goal. And this is something that would be, is very, very hard to do if you do not function out of the scandalous logic of the gospel. Miroslav Volf uh, is a guy who I've read a lot on forgiveness, and this is a quote that he says. He says, look, if on, if on the bottom line of our lives lies the principle that we should get what we deserve, whether good or ill, forgiveness will sit uncomfortably with us. To forgive is to give people more than their due. It's to release them from the debt they have incurred. And that's bound to mess up the books. So we absorb the evil and we break this endless cycle of revenge and violence with no satisfaction, with no substitution, with no peace. We end this cycle. It's the world of Beowulf, really. Pagan blood revenge. We protect the reputation of our offender. We don't gossip about them. We cover their sins in the same way that my sins and your sins have been covered. We don't look for sympathy or the approval of others as we forecast our nobility, our noble forgiveness. Spiritual pride lurks there. We forgo resentment and contempt and retribution. We don't press charges. We release our power over those who have genuinely hurt us. There's a perverse power in withholding forgiveness from somebody. You release that power. That is a kenotic posture. We move toward our enemies in love. Look, it could be a small thing. Uh, Beth's in children's ministry, so here's a... I wasn't planning on saying this, but I'll say something like this. <laughs> um, not a surprise, married people get in fights, right? Um, and, you know, you might be in a situation where you're laying in bed with your spouse. Just take this as an analogy for many things, okay? I'm just coming up with an example. You might be laying in bed with your spouse, and you might feel like that they've really wronged you. And that they're really, really unlovely and unattractive and you don't like them. Okay? Doesn't sound romantic, but these things happen, right? Um, and if, if, if her foot even touched my foot, I'd be like, oh, get that thing away from me. Right? The very touch is repulsive. Now... This is making Beth sound like the bad person. Look, I, I, I am very difficult to be married to. So just take this example as, okay. She does the same thing. 
I'm, this is bad. I'm kind of maybe making myself look like the hero here. But let's say there really truly is something, something bad that's happened, you know, and something that's been, that, there, that there's, we move towards in love and we make those steps where I might just reach over and grab her hand. Even though I don't want to, and even though at that point, at that very small slice of our life, you know, she's my enemy, right? I'm just, and this is, this is what it means. We move towards, we come to a point where we forgive, but then we also move towards with grace and forgiveness. We pray for our offenders. Jesus told us to. Pray for our enemies. Bless those who curse you. And this can be a besetting cross to bear. I don't want to make light of ways that people have been hurt. People have been hurt in this world in very, very, very significant and deep ways. And I don't want to make light of the, of the task and the process and the difficulty of forgiving. And it is a cross to bear. And in fact, some harms are so strong that your healing might take into the afterlife. The horizon of your healing is into the afterlife where Christ will eventually completely restore. But in the meantime, this is why the biblical writers all ask us to to persevere. Jesus, Paul, James, John, all exhort perseverance. Paul says, don't grow weary while doing good. Sometimes doing good's burdensome and it's wearisome. And Paul says, don't grow weary. Keep going. The passage in, in 1 Corinthians 13 that people say at weddings, love is patience. Well, the word patience there is love. Love is patient means love suffers long and is kind. So as you seek to embody forgiveness, this is not an instantaneous thing. It's, it's habitual. It's daily. It's long-term. But forgiveness and reconciliation is the heart of the gospel. It's not a mere add-on to the gospel. It's the heartbeat of the gospel. It's not a mere addendum. It's the heart of the gospel. Luther, again, Martin Luther said, this is a tough quote, The outward forgiveness that I show in my deeds is a sure sign that I have the forgiveness of sin in the sight of God. On the other hand, if I do not show this in my relations with my neighbor, I have a sure sign that I do not have the forgiveness of sin in the sight of God and I am still stuck in my unbelief. But you can't do this on your own, and nor can I. This requires a work of the Spirit of God. Forgiveness requires the work of the Spirit. You need to receive the power, and you need to receive the willingness to forgive that only can come through the Spirit of God working in your heart. It's, it's not natural to forgive. It's countercultural. Look, look, in the, look around us. 
Look in here. So are you making space in your, in your own life for the Spirit of God to take root in your heart? You need to do that. Don't delay. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And also, forgiveness requires community. It's a communal project. You need to, we need to dwell in communities of good forgivers. And may God in His mercy make that to be the case in this church, that we would be marked as a community of good forgivers. So back to Acts 12. Is God any less active in the world today than He was in the early church when He delivered Peter miraculously from prison? I would argue that insofar as we embody true forgiveness, we're seeing nothing less than heaven and earth, the reality of heaven and earth being made manifest. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We see the fusion of heaven and earth in part. That reality made manifest when we forgive truly. When we forgive with real, costly, and true forgiveness. Um, Recently, you might have seen this story, but I'm going to show you a video clip. There was a man named Botham Jean who was killed by a former uh, Dallas police officer named Amber Geiger. And I believe that Botham Jean was in his apartment. I think he was eating ice cream on the couch. And she went into his apartment and she killed him. Now, I don't know all the details of the story, so, um, but he was killed. Um, He was, and there's a trial. And Botham Jean's brother is a man named Brant Jean. And Brant Jean was given an opportunity to, to give what's called the victim impact statement. And so I want to play for you the victim impact statement. Again, so the, the, the young man that you're going to see, his brother was killed by a, by a former Dallas police officer. And this is what he says to her in the trial. I don't know... Um, I don't know how else you can explain what you just saw right there apart from the miraculous work of God. Let us pray. Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And we pray for your Spirit's enabling. Amen.